This is the Equal Yoke Podcast. Hosted by husband and wife, Zach and Morgan Hill, this show exists to promote family theology within the context of an equally yoked marriage that plows ahead for the gospel and Great Commission. We've got work to do, so now let's plow ahead. Welcome to the Equal Yoke Podcast, Episode 4. We're so honored that you have decided to link up and yoke up with us to tackle another topic concerning family theology. Morgan is downstairs right now helping get the kids uh, started with their day with breakfast and school and all that fun stuff. This is just a little intro to Episode 4. Episode 4 is a very special episode. This is our very first interview episode. We know that there are going to be many more to come. We've got some more lined up for later on into the season, uh, who, however long this season lasts. But today we are very honored to have our brother and friend in Christ, Josh Nemi, uh, on to discuss the topic of discipleship in the home. Now, Josh is an author. He has written a book called Expository Parenting. It's phenomenal. We uh, pray that you can pick that up. You can find that on Amazon, but maybe you might be the lucky winner this week because we are giving away Josh's book, Expository Parenting, for free, shipped right to your door. Check out the um, requirements for that giveaway on our Instagram and Facebook page. Nonetheless, we pray that this episode blesses you. Rate it, give it five stars, share it, all that good stuff. But without further ado... Here is our episode four interview with Josh Nemi concerning discipleship in the home. All right, welcome everyone to the Equal Yoke podcast, episode four. We are extremely honored and excited for you to be with us again. We are also just as honored that you have decided to yoke up with us again to tackle another family theology topic. And Morgan, we have a, uh, a special guest on today. This is the very first introductory. Um, no, yeah. the special guest is not our son who's yeah, about to come it's, it's here not screaming. Atlas, uh, but we have a, an introductory interview. Uh, he is breaking it in. Uh, author and brother in Christ, Josh Nemi. What's going on, brother? Hey, how you guys doing? Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to, and honored to be the, the first guest. It's almost like uh, putting on a new pair of shoes, you know, the first time, sort of bouncing your step and everything. And um, so, no, I'm I'm happy to be here. Happy to, to join you guys. And I'm a few episodes behind, but uh, I did listen to that first episode you guys just launched a little bit ago, and. Um, yeah, you guys have some great chemistry and, and a good direction for the podcast. So I'm happy to be here. We appreciate that for sure. I know me personally, your page and your book has been quite a big influence in my life, which has then, you know, trickled over into Zach's life and our kids' life. So we appreciate you coming on here and really just discussing discipleship in the home with us because that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, uh, you know, you know, that's uh, a parent's um, biggest ministry and, and really a pastor's too. I mean, it's the, the pastor has to demonstrate his worthiness in the home before he even uh, begins to look at the church too. So yeah, it's, it's a lofty task. Yeah, that's right. You know, if, if, a, if a man of God cannot take care of his own household, how can he do that 
for God's house. Um, so as we get started, just uh, give us a little rundown, a little Christian mingle bio of Josh, right? You know, uh, you know where are you where are you from, what you do, um, where can people connect with you, and um, find your wonderful book that ours is all marked up, Expository Parenting. Give us a little rundown. Sure, sure. So I won't run through my whole testimony, but uh, I was saved out of false conversion when I was 18 years old. Um, that was uh, quite a while ago. I'm, I'm in my mid-30s now. Um, but uh, my wife and I uh, live in central Illinois, and uh, we've got three kids. Um, Carter's 12, Lucy is 9, and Notch is 5. And so uh, we're right there in the pocket with you. we got a, a uh, a loud and, and bustling house, but we've got a lot of fun and enjoy here too. Um, but as far as the ministry goes, um, many years ago, in fact, when, when my wife and I had our first, uh, our first son, um, I just kind of, it wasn't necessarily like an existential crisis type of moment or anything, but um, just kind of being overwhelmed or feeling the weight of realizing that, you know, we've literally made a disciple and now we need to make disciples, right? Yep. Um, and, uh, and, and so I just thought, you know, how am I going to do this? How am I going to, um, you know, bring this child up in the, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? I, I felt the weight and pressure of that, knowing it was my duty. And, um, a lot of that just came from, uh, my own personal growth. Um, uh, early on, thankfully I had a couple of great influences. Um, like, like I said, when I was uh, first saved and, uh, in undergrad, um, I met my wife there, and she was discipled so well by her dad growing up that um, you know so many of the doctrines that I come to come to believe and enjoy now, she knew those um, you know like the back of her hand, and uh, so she was one influence um, on me early on. But also another uh, good friend of mine, Pete Shannons, who's now actually a uh, professor at the Master Seminary. Oh, very nice. Really important. Yeah, for he and you know he. He was, uh, again, even in those younger years, um, he, he had been discipled well, too. And so I was getting a lot of secondhand discipleship, and they were pouring into me. And um, he led me to John MacArthur's ministry, and I began to, to soak up everything I could on gracetoyou.org, gty.org, um, listening uh, to, to Pastor John preach verse by verse, which that, that shocked me when I first heard that, um, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I was surprised that people actually did that. I had grown up just hearing topical sermons and hearing, you know, testimonials and cute talks and things like that. It really, it, it just, it was a, it was a strange moment for me to think that somebody would just kind of open the Bible and just kind of teach line after line. I was, I was naive and thinking, uh, kind of like Andy Stanley has, has been known to say that expository preaching is cheating. You know, it was almost like that. <laughs> I wouldn't have said it that way. You know, but, but I just thought, well, this is just strange, you know. I mean, he's just kind of working through the Bible like that. Anyway, needless to say, through MacArthur's ministry, I really began to understand the doctrine of sola scriptura mm. and that scripture is fully sufficient for everything I could ever need in life. That was, again, another mind-blowing moment for me to really think that, you know, wow, the, the Bible actually has the answers to every question I could ask in terms of life and godliness. And um, part of that, I think, stems from the fact, uh, not that I doubted the, the Bible's authority or anything, but just when you don't know the Bible, you tend to turn to other things to answer your questions, whether it's tradition, pragmatism, um, you know, those kinds of things. You're, you're looking for some way to, to rationalize the way you live, right? And so um, if you're going to, the moment you begin to, to agree that, yeah, the Bible has all the answers, well, now you're on the hook to 
dig out all those answers, right? And that's where the, the hard work comes from. Absolutely. But anyway, to fast, yeah, so to, to fast forward to, to our, our firstborn, um, that's when it really hit me that, okay, if the Bible is fully sufficient to equip me as an adult for every good work, then I don't need to come up with any clever strategy or uh, a particular method or, you know, some kind of a guru uh, strategy for, for raising him and for bringing him to saving faith and maturity. Um, because like they say, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And so if, if scripture can fully equip me for every good work, then it can do the same thing in his life. And that's what kind of began to birth uh, the expository parenting ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you look at uh, how a pastor accomplishes that, how does a pastor fully equip um, his flock? If all scripture is God breathed and useful, like we see in Second Timothy chapter three, then the way he does that is by preaching verse by verse, because it's all important and right. we need it all. Absolutely. And Amen. so, and yeah, yeah. And so that's, that's when I realized, okay, that's, that's my task. That, that's how you get it done. That's how you, you bring a child um, up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and, and not worrying, hey, what have I missed? What could I have overlooked? You know, um, you know, as parents, we're always thinking, you know, what, what is, what does my child need here or there in, in terms of growth and, and spiritual maturity and, and things like that. But you know what, if you rest in the sufficiency of scripture, God's word will do it for you. Absolutely. It's, so, it's like that old uh, saying that Spurgeon had, right? You don't have to defend a line. You just got to let him out of the cage. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's exactly, and, and so really there's, there's a difficulty in, in teaching verse by verse and the study and everything that goes into that. But there's also a huge weight that's lifted off your shoulders as a parent if you realize you don't, you don't need to be um, the ideal parent. And in fact, I'll be the first to admit I'm not. You know, I'm not a perfect, um, not a perfect parent. We're not, my wife, Jill, and I aren't perfect parents. Um, but God's word is perfect. And um, so expository parenting, I, like I've told people, um, it's not about guaranteeing that uh, your child is going to be saved or that they're going to be this um, a true Christian, but it is about guaranteeing that you'll never have to ask, what more could I have done? Well, because amen. If you're teaching verse by verse, you, you can't ever say, well, I guess, you know, I, I taught them the Bible. I delivered the full counsel of God to them, but it just didn't pan out. You know, it, the, the word failed somehow. No, we know that, that God's word accomplishes exactly what he wants. And so uh, in terms of the, the, the ministry of expository parenting, that's kind of the tagline is just as every preacher should be committed to expository preaching, so too should every parent be committed to expository parenting. And essentially what that entails is delivering the entire Bible to them by the time they leave your home so that you can guarantee that they've been fully equipped or that you've at least provided everything that they've needed to be fully equipped. Right. Obviously, you can't live their life for them and, and as they grow and into the teenage years and everything. They have to live their own life and make their faith their own. Um, but at least you can say you got them to the starting line. You know what I mean? You got them carved up. You got them ready for the race. And then um, once the, the gunshot goes off, there they go. Right. So I know that your Facebook page is, is, uh, gets a lot of traffic, gets a lot of attention. I know you do some articles and stuff. Um, and your book is very simply titled Expository Parenting, the same as the page. Where can uh, people buy that, connect with you, stuff like that, so we're not just uh, out here in la-la land just talking to some guy? Uh, we, we love you, and we really appreciate your ministry. We want others to, to know where they can sync up with you. And then we want to just pick your brain about a couple of topics and see where this goes. 
Sure. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so, yeah, the, the Facebook page has, has really grown quite a bit in the past year or so. Um, the book's been out for uh, about four, four years now. Uh, since 2017, I launched it on the, basically in October of uh, 2017, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Um, but you can connect on facebook.com slash expository parenting. The website is expositoryparenting.org. And like you said, we, we put out a lot of articles. I've got a couple of staff writers that write for me as well. Um, Jacob Trotter and, and Nikki Truesdell write for me there. And um, you can also, you can buy the book uh, at Amazon. You can buy it um, Barnes & Noble. is an Amazon partner, so you can find it at uh, barnesandnoble.com. And then you can also find it at graceandtruthbooks.com. Very good. It's a bookstore run by a good friend of mine, Dennis Gunderson. Man, you're dropping all kinds of plugs. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving it right now. Yeah, we'll I'm go ahead. Just a PR guy for everybody else. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> so, Josh, uh, I had a similar experience to you, uh, especially the first time I heard expository preaching. I tell people, and like I'm grieved and kind of embarrassed by saying it, but I was bored by it, and I was so confused why this pastor mm-hmm. was just reading me the Bible. Like, do you not think that I'm a Christian? Which the funny part of it is, I really, I also had a false conversion as a young adult, mm-hmm. and so didn't come to the Lord until later in life. But I believe we probably have quite a few listeners who may not know what expository preaching is, and I think we just covered that, but maybe the why of expository parenting, like if you could just sum up in the importance, uh, obviously you discuss sola scriptura, but you know, practically what, what is the point? Cause I think a lot of people may be in our shoes of they may where we were beforehand and they may not even have ever heard an expository preacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot, few different things there that's a, few questions there um so first off yeah in ter- one of the strange things about the the reformation is, is the, one of the blessings is that we have bibles translated into our own language we've got personal bibles we've got you know electronic bibles we've got bibles coming out our ears everywhere at yep. least here in the west right one of the problems is that since everybody has their own bible and they have their the, the ability to read it which are two blessings that were ne- nearly unheard of in the first century church i mean we're talking maybe 15, 20% literacy rate at best. Um, you couldn't, you wouldn't have been able to afford a copy of the scriptures. I mean, the book of Romans would have cost you thousands of dollars to, to have it uh, hand copied. Uh, so, you know, we, we live in a, a very strange paradigm compared to the first century church. And because of that, a lot of people assume that literacy plus their own Bible give, automatically grants them the ability to rightly handle it and understand it on their own. And that's why, like I think you said, uh, more than that, um, people are sometimes offended, like, you know, I have my own Bible. Are you saying, you know, you're going to kind of walk me through it? Well, I do my daily devotions and, you know, I kind of get, get what I get on my own. And maybe, maybe a little bit of the American independent spirit mixed in there too. Um, but scripture is clear that, well, first of all, the, the untaught and unstable can just distort scripture to their own detriment, right? We see that in second Timothy. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, like we see in Ephesians chapter four and other places, pastors and, and teachers are, are gifts given by Christ to the church to preach the word and to, and to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so 
you know, to, to say, you know, just me and my Bible, me and my KJV under the tree kind of a mentality, that's solo <laughs> scriptura. Um, it, it really runs contrary to, to, to what we see in scripture. It's like saying to Christ, you don't need his gifts. Mm. So we need expositors to, to teach us the word. Now, in terms of why you do that, again, I go back to the foundational text, which is in chapter one of the book, um, second Second uh, Timothy chapter three, um, you know, all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that fourfold aspect, so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. Um, and of course, in context, man of God, there is referring to pastors, that is the man of God, but um, the, the natural uh, or logical conclusion of that is that it would apply to anybody because pastors have more spiritual responsibility than the average person. Right. It's a it's a Not it's a less. trickle down it, model. Exactly. Yep. It's an argument from the, the the greater to the lesser. So, to be fully equipped for every good work, um, you need all scripture, and that's why I tell people to the extent that um, you don't know your Bible, there are handicaps in your life. There, there just naturally are because if all scripture is useful. And the amount that you don't know is, is the amount that you should have needed or could have used for any given situation. Of course, we don't all face the same situations in life, but in order to, to guarantee that you've been fully equipped for that, you need to learn the full counsel of God, like Paul talks about. And so that's where verse-by-verse verse expository preaching comes into play. You know, beyond that, there's all kinds of literary aspects to it, grammatical, historical details that it really takes time to dig in and to, to, to rightly divide the word in order to, to handle it and to apply it correctly. So I think it's, it's not intentionally arrogant, but a little bit when we think that we can just walk up to the Bible, having done no study and just say, I got it, yeah. you know, compared sure. to an expositor who just spent, you know, 30 hours in his study, digging through books, combing through references, cross references, commentaries, interacting with the original languages in order to present this meal to you on a Sunday morning. Absolutely. And so what you're saying right now actually segues this into a, another uh, topic that, that I'd like to just pick your brain on. Um, in On page 200 of your work on expository parenting, you say this, education is not simply imparting facts. It's also imparting a worldview. And what, what I've just heard in your conversation with us thus far is um, you, everyone has presuppositions and we come to anything with presuppositions. And so what I hear you saying is, is expository parenting involves education via the Bible and we have a presupposition that it is the actual word of God and it's truthful. Um, would you agree with the statement that it's, it's not if your children will be indoctrinated. It's, it's who will. Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, Jesus said that the, the student will become like the teacher, right? Or the disciple will become like the teacher. Um, that's, um, that, that's what education is. And, you know, when it, when it comes to the issue of education, um, first of all, just to give it a little bit of context, um, in terms of expository parenting. So once we establish that our goal is to l- deliver the full counsel of, of God, um, to our kids by the time they, they leave our homes. Two of the biggest obstacles to that are one, negative influences, um, you know, just just somebody undermining or, or contradicting what you teach. I mean, you think uh, a lot of the New Testament, that's exactly what the New Testament is, is it's the apostles trying to guard believers who've been misled. Yeah, right out of the gate. Teaching, right? <laughs> right out of the exactly. gate. False teachings right, right out of the, the gate. gate. <laughs> yep. So you've got this constant, this constant battle where, 
you know, uh, people are trying to undermine everything that you're pouring into your kids, uh, whether, again, whether intentionally or not. Uh, the second thing is time, time aspect. Any good expositor knows that to preach through a book of the Bible is going to take time. Now, you don't have to be puritanical about it and spend, you know, 40 years in Job or whatever, you know, <laughs> like you hear some of these historical accounts. Um, but at the, at, at the same token, you can't pretend like after, you know, you go to public school, you got sports, you got uh, dinner, you've got maybe a bath, you've got homework, whatever. We can't pretend like that last 15 minutes of the day is really where we're going to have time, one, to not only uh, contradict or counteract what was taught at school, but then two, to positively teach the truth in its place, right? So it's like, you know, digging something out, but then backfilling it with the truth. Um, so, I mean, with that in mind, that's kind of the context for the, the, um, the education chapter. Mm -hmm. And like you said, yeah, everybody has a worldview. I think one of the misconceptions is, um, for example, we'll just, we'll just talk about government education for a minute here. And, and, you know, the funny thing is even in the past four years, I think a lot of people's perspective has changed dramatically. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people naively think that indoctrination only happens by what is positively taught. And when I say positive, I mean like like statements that are actually stated or told or or, or mentioned right. um, to the kids. So, for example, like if somebody sits down with with little Susie or little Johnny and says, um, you know, there is no God. We came from Big Bang. Blah blah blah. That's indoctrination. We would all agree with that. But there's a second aspect to it, and that is what is omitted. You know, it's, it's like a, a sin of commission versus a sin of omission. The sin of omission is harder to detect because by definition, it's not there. So indoctrination also happens when you simply leave God out because that inherently teaches the, the student that education comes from a, a godless void. Mm. And really, when you look at Romans chapter one, that's exactly the sin that, that kicks it all off. It's knowing the truth of God's existence, but, but suppressing that in unrighteousness. Absolutely. So it's, it's suppressing, it's omitting, it's pretending like I don't need God to learn uh, math or science or history. Um, you know, those are things that we can just derive or conjure up on our own. And so that's really, that's, a, I think, a key thing that a lot of people miss when it comes to indoctrination. That No one's saying that every school, every public school you go to, they're going to sit you down and they're going to just blast Christianity outright. But it's the failing to acknowledge the creator as they're talking about his creation. You know, it's like walking into somebody's house and looking around and seeing how great it is, but never interacting with the homeowner. Right. It, it, it's like, you know, what are you, what are you doing here, you know? Well, you actually um, just said something just a second ago uh, that reminds me of uh, the old Harvard motto. I'm sure you know it. You know, lay Christ as the foundation, then build everything on top of that. Um, mathematics has to do with Jesus Christ. Um, the Absolutely, arts yep. have to do with Jesus Christ. Uh, Morgan teaching Nova how to do laundry, that has to do with Jesus <laughs> in some basic yep. shape or form. And uh, yeah, you're spot on. Well, and I think that that yeah, just stems... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, you're good. Stems off of where we really started this discussion is everyone has presuppositions and everyone is being indoctrinated, even us. As adults, right, and the, and the word indoctrination worldview. has yeah. such a negative connotation it now. Does, it, but, but it just means not. it just means you've, you're being taught yeah. something. Like I'm indoctrinating right. my kids, and in, in a right. in a Christian manner. 
Right. And again, that's why I wanted to really emphasize that what you omit is also part of the indoctrination because any non-Christian, you know, run-of-the-mill atheist is going to tell you they want your kids to come to school and, not, and, and you know, so they're not home being indoctrinated. Well, that's, that's, they're just lying to themselves and to you because they're also indoctrinating your kid with, with a literally a Christless education. Right, there is no neutrality, is there, That's Josh? exactly what I was going to say. Is I think right. the issue is we have a generation before us that has somehow ended up at the conclusion that there can be neutralities in what you're being taught. But essentially, if it's not for God, then it's against it. Yep, that's exactly right. And again, I, would, I look at Romans 1 because it's so fascinating that people are seeing now when it comes to government education you see, you see things on Twitter or the news or whatever all of this immorality this sexual immorality that's happening in schools and people are, oh what's going on here this is crazy it's like well that's actually the fruit that's not the root if you go to Romans 1 the, the root is idolatry it's again going back to that failing to acknowledge the creator suppressing the truth of him and unrighteousness the fruit of that then is the uh, the whirlwind that that uh, downward spiral of immorality that follows it and so again you look at um at a, at a public school people are outraged about um the, the the sexual stuff that's going on but they weren't outraged about the evolutionary theory for example that's been taught for decades that actually brought about what we're seeing today mm. yes you know, i've actually had today is just taking it to its logical conclusion yeah, I've actually had that exact conversation because it's like, oh, well, now that they have, you know, critical race theory and uh, the p- shedding the positive light on homosexuality and transgender and all of this stuff in the school system, now it's bad. But it's like, but we omitted God from the beginning. And so you're, the only natural conclusion is for that to spiral into what it's become now. Yeah, that's exactly right. And. Just one other comment on the, on the chapter of, of education. I started out with, um, again, issues looking like looking at, like for example, protecting your kids, guarding them. I look at the issue of time, time management, that kind of thing. But I really start the chapter with those because those are actually the weakest arguments. Those are those are a, a biblical slash pragmatic argument, mm-hmm. right? But the reality is. Let's go back to Scripture and just let's see what Scripture says to do, regardless of the time, regardless of the influences, regardless of any perspective. What does the Bible say to do? You know, the question isn't, I, I tell this to people all the time, don't do, don't do what you think is best for your family. Do what the Bible says is best for your family. Amen to that. <laughs> Big difference there. One's subjective, one's objective. And so when you look through Scripture, I mean, you, you search long and hard as, as, as much as you need. You're not going to find any concepts of outsourcing your kids to uh, unbelievers, those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who rebel against the Lord Jesus Christ and hate Him, you're just not going. You're not going to find that. Well, you know, the, again, man, you you must be like reading our minds or the the little <laughs> the little script we have here of our, our talking points because man, we're just tracking together. I think this means well, we that we can be like really yeah, good friends, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Yeah. So so this leads perfectly into another uh, idea we just want to briefly touch on. Um, the home, the homemade seminary. 
your, your chapter seven of your work. I love that term, by the way. Yeah. I use it now. <laughs> yeah, the homemade seminary. Yeah, yeah, and and when I was uh, looking through your book and, and reading some of it and, and Morgan and I were talking, that honestly, that chapter, and it may just be because it's the season of life that we're in in the Hill household, that felt, felt like the, the chiastic X marks the spot chapter for us. Mm. Uh, uh, really enjoy that chapter. Um, and, you know, just speak to that for just one second, because to me, that's where expository parenting and the concept of it flourishes is in this idea of, of homemade seminary or, um, you know, your, your kids being taught at home um, by the parents, the scriptures, etc. Yeah, you know, the funny thing about it is that's probably one of the more controversial chapters. Um, you don't say. <laughs> I, I, from what I understand, that's, and again, I can't go into any detail, but that's probably the chapter that if I would have gotten rid of that, I could have had a, a book deal with Crossway. Um, but I wasn't willing to compromise that. I mean, this was an, that's an integral part of, of this whole paradigm. You mean um, that you could have actually been on the Crossway podcast with Matt Tolley instead of Zach and Morgan Hill? Well, you know what? <laughs> I mean, you can just kind of look, you can kind of look ahead and, and realize, you know what? I can see where this is going, and, and I need to I need to do this on my own anyway. So yeah, praise God. I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a big Eva guy, and uh, the things I say would never be accepted. You know, you know what's by, so funny, Josh? What's you know. so funny is that's Morgan's mom's name. So we just kind of laugh every time we mm, use that term, Big Eva. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. Don't call her that. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, no, I mean, again, it, it, you have to you have to take it from the top and, and you have to start with what's your goal because what whatever your goal is that's going to determine the process that you take to get there and again that's just that's just speaking just as a nat- naturalistic argument that's more pragmatic you don't need to be a christian to recognize that that's how things are typically done you start with your end goal and then you work backwards to how do i achieve that right yeah so again if your goal is to um to deliver the full counsel of god to your kids you've got to, you've got to settle that, that issue in your mind. You really have to, to, um, you have to get over some of your misconceptions about, uh, education in general. Like I said, the myth of neutrality, that's part of the reason that I positioned that chapter back in the book where I did was because I, I, I want the reader to get buy into the concept of expository parenting and the need for verse by verse exposition church and at home and fully equipping your kids and yada yada so that by the time you get to that chapter i want people to think to themselves okay there's no way i have time to teach my kids the entire bible there's no way i have time to study there's no way they have time to listen learn they're going to be burned out by the time they get you know they get home from school i want to get that buy-in and i want to have all of those um those tensions piled up and i do that again with the chapter regarding the local church too so that I can then come in and address it with what Scripture actually says, but you've got to you've got to draw out that 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 need that that desire for it before then you're going to say, okay, I have to do this. So now the question is, how how do I pull it off? Right. And that's when people open up and say, okay, you know what? I just realized that culturally I've been taught to send my kids away for eight to ten hours a day, but I actually don't need to do that, huh? You know, okay, maybe maybe there's a way to, to do this. And, you know, another thing, too, is um, maybe I'm just forwardly thinking here, and I know, Morgan, you will echo this, and I'm sure you'll pipe in here in just a second. She's been checking on the kids. Um, we we get this st- 
stale and static idea that when we start talking about, and I mean, when I say we, I mean Christians in general, especially who would be in our camp and who would say yes and amen to everything that you're saying, Josh. Um, we get this stale and static idea that when we talk about teaching the Bible and raising our, our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord and, and having a Christ-centered family theology, we think that it's just like, okay, now when you get home, everybody sit down, you eat your uh, gray oatmeal and put on you know your, your weird little cult uniform, and we're just, we're just going to read the Bible and, and everybody shut up. But the thing is this. Uh, I'm sure you've heard the the old saying about John Bunyan that when you pricked him, he he bled bibbling. Uh, yeah. What we talk, what that means is like the words that he said, the thoughts that he had, the way that he looked at things, the way he explained things were couched and saturated in biblical language and biblical ideas. It's not just this stale reading of the scriptures and then everybody goes off to bed. It's integrating even the language of the scriptures into your everyday conversations with your family. Yep, that's exactly right. That's Deuteronomy 6 in a nutshell. I mean, that that is why you're talking about God when you walk by the way and you rise up and you lie down. That passage is, is actually a merism, a grammatical term that, you know, refers to, you, you talk about the, the extent, you know, the greatest extent, and it includes everything else in between. So, for example, if, if I say, here's an example I get all the time, if I told somebody, um, you know, I lost my keys and they, and they said, well, uh, you know, did you search high and low? Well, what, what they're saying is, did you search everywhere? They're right. using the two extreme ends, high and low, but they also mean, did you look in the middle? Did you look every, you know, and in the same way, when Moses says, um, you know, teach them, for example, when you lie down, and when you rise up, that's not just saying, okay, do a morning and evening devotion. That is including, that's an, you know, that's elastic. That's including the entire span of the day both time and location there. And so you're exactly right. You know, when you talk about um, Bunyan or, you know, other, other Puritans, I mean, historically, that's how they would talk that, that their, their everyday conversation was always God centered. I mean, you could be walking outside and you see, um, you you look up in the clouds and you say, you know, Hey, that you remember when, when Christ uh, ascended into the clouds and, and, you know, he told his disciples he'd return the same way or the angel said he'd return the same way as he saw him go, you know, and just, and just integrate that into just what you're doing. You're outside and you see the clouds kind of a thing, you know? Um, but it was, it was exactly like you said, it was very, uh, bibbling. It was just uh, conversational. It's not like everybody sit down at a desk and I'm going to get out my flannel graph and we're going to go through this, uh, <laughs> you know, story of Jonah kind of a thing. Now, again, in terms of teaching your kids the Bible, yeah, you got to sit down and you've got to do oh, that absolutely. work of, of Bible time. But you're right that it's it's conversational. It's throughout the day, and um, you know that's what discipleship is. That's why I look at the paradigm between Paul and Timothy in the book, and Timothy was right there side by side with Paul in the trenches. That's how you learn. That's why Paul said the things you've heard and seen in me. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Morton, do you want to? You want to? Pipe in right here and kind of see if you want to pick his brain about something. Because he, I'm telling you right now, this guy's he knows what he's talking about. I like this guy. I know. That's why I got his book. And then I said, here, you need to read this too. Yep. <laughs> Just look at all that I have highlighted. It's basically yeah, all right, the pages. Right. That's not to puff you up, brother. We really sincerely are appreciative for your ministry. So well, question. Say, you guys like me? That makes like three of you. Yeah. So <laughs> your wife, your kids, and then the hills My way down in, in say, Listen, I follow your Facebook page and I see some, yeah. some comments that people put. 
yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so a question that we have, cause you, ha- so your youngest child is actually the age of our oldest child. So you all are ahead of us in that area of life. So something that we would really like to talk to you about is kind of like, how do you integrate the kind of the pass of the baton as the kids get older? Uh, so do you let them start leading in prayers, discussions? Did they start reading the Bible? Kind of how do you how do you get it away from just, okay, just sit here and listen to daddy do this of like, let's all get involved so you can be all hands on deck. Sure. Yeah. So there, there's a chapter in the book um, it's called chapter three. I think it is carrying out the task where I try to touch on that a little bit. Obviously I can't go into too much depth in, in, in just a chapter there, but um, where, you know, you, you do want to stage um, your, t- your Bible instruction and, and, and proportion it according to the age of your kids. I mean, this kind of brings up an interesting um, discussion of children's Bibles. I was talking to somebody else, uh, a pastor, about this uh, just a couple of weeks ago. People have different opinions on children's Bibles. I'll be the first to admit, hey, children's Bibles are relatively young in the life of the church. I mean, it's not like first century. They're doing you know, 110 beginner's Bible. Um, I personally am I'm an advocate of children's Bibles. I think a lot of them are, are not good, but I think there are a couple of gems, and I typically recommend those to people. Um, the Erdemeyer, for example, is one of the best uh, children's storybook Bibles I often recommend. And I appreciate, um, I think you did an article um, critiquing one that yeah, I ended up. Yeah, critiquing Unfortunately, I saw Bible. your article after I purchased it, so it ended up in the trash can. But your article helped. Yeah, Yeah. I would consider uh, the message a children's Bible as well. (laughs) Right? Yeah, there you go. Yep, yep. Um, So, I guess to to kind of bring that back into what you're asking is, so as I describe it, is is you really want to tailor your your time of Bible instruction towards their age, so that you can slowly build up their appetite and palate for expository preaching for full text verse-by-verse expository preaching. And so, when, so for example, if somebody says, hey, I, you know, I'm not comfortable with a storybook Bible, maybe they think, you know, they see a second commandment violation with an image of Christ, that's fine. I have no problem with their, their conscience on that, um, even if I might disagree. Um, but what I do usually tell people is this, okay, if you, if you have, a, say, a five-year-old, and you don't want to use a storybook Bible, like, I'm right there with you. Like, they're, that's, you know, those are new. But you're going to end up summarizing the full text Bible in the same way that the storybook Bible is. I mean, you have to just be honest about that. Um, so I think sometimes we, you know, people think, well, I, you know, I want to take this kind of holy approach and we just you know, plow into the KJV with my three year old and I just take it, you know. Um, but what I, I would suggest is, is working your way through multiple storybook Bibles essentially as quickly as you can and as, as, as much as the, the child's abilities can, can handle. So I, I'll use my own kids as an example, even though I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't use my family in the example, as an example in the book at all, because again, we're not um, the standard, but just for the purposes of an illustration, um, you know, when my kids w- were younger, we, we would rattle through, like, for example, the Zondervan Beginners Bible. We'd rattle, rattle through the Ergemeyer. We'd, we'd go through the Children's Illustrated uh, Storybook Bible. And so they're going to get a full, um, a full breadth of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, even though they're obviously not going to get all the intricate details and different accounts. 
but they're going to slowly get acquainted. And essentially what you're doing is you're layering uh, biblical knowledge on top of, you know, on top of itself over and over year after year to the point where by the time they're, I mean, again, it, it depends on their abilities, but um, seven, eight, nine, ten, they're, they're going to be ready for a full text Bible. If you, if you work your way through, let's say three or four storybook Bibles by the time they're 10, they're going to have a pretty good knowledge of scripture. And the other thing too, is that I typically would look at a, a storybook Bible to see how long the stories are. So I'll start them with the, the shorter, you know, when they're four or five years old, I'm, I'm just giving them like a, I mean, we're talking three to five minutes. This isn't a long drawn out exposition. As we work through that Bible, let's say that takes us a year. We'll go to the next. I'll pick out another uh, storybook Bible that I'm comfortable with, and we'll do five to ten minutes. Before you know it, if you do that year after year, they're going to be able to sit down and have the attention span and the understanding to sit down for 20, 25, 30 minutes. And then by that, by that point, again, they're ready time-wise. They're ready intellectually. They've got a foundation of knowledge. Um, they've been catechized, which is another issue we could talk about. But then you jump right into Genesis 1-1, and you're off and running. And, and they're not going to be burdened. They're not going to think, oh, this is boring, or I don't get it, or, I, you know, or this is too long. You, you've primed the pump. You've, right. you've raised them to that level of maturity. So your oldest son, how, how old is your oldest child? Did you say 12? Is that correct? He's 12, yep. So do you yep. integrate kind of like that Paul Timothy style where you kind of are, are training him up to, to be a, a man in the Lord, a a father and husband one day? Do you, do you kind of pass off to him like, hey, you know, would you read this little text as we, you know, go to it? Or, or do you solely mm-hmm. keep it still under uh, your wing, so to speak? No, definitely. Definitely as they get older, you want to incorporate them more and more. Um, you know, he'll read passages. Um, he, he'll join in prayer for certain things. Um, that's when you also start to ask, um, and I talk about this in that chapter in the book, you, you start to you tailor the questions differently. So when they're young, when they're five, six years old, you're just going to ask fact-based questions. You know, who was, um, who did God send to go preach to the Ninevites? Or, you know, uh, what, what was the name of the city that they marched around and the walls fell down? You're just, you're just wanting them to track with what you're reading, fact-based. It's not anything introspective, lofty theology, none of that. As they grow, you want to start morphing those questions where they're going to have to start drawing out the implications of the text. They're going to have to start relying on their catechism that you taught them, uh, the theology that you taught them from past um, storybook Bibles or Bible time, whatever it is, things that they're hearing in church maybe. Um and then you also then you then you also migrate into more apologetics. You say, okay, now some people would say that this means this, but why, why would you why would you disagree or what would you say if somebody came to you and said, you know, hey, you know, this this, this passage here says that women can be creatures, or you know, I mean, you just you want to start getting them into an apologetics mode. So that again, that's a gradual thing, um, but absolutely, you're you're slowly starting to get them. Um, uh, to, to, to buy into this a little bit more, get them more involved. Um, it's, I, I do emphasize that it still needs to be um, you teaching them. You know, it's not like, hey, here's this passage of scripture that you're just now seeing for the first time, and I want you to walk, in, you know, walk me through <laughs> it verse by verse. It's not like that, right? Yeah. Um, it still, it still resembles a pastor and congregation. You know, as, as congregants, we're, you know, we're 
intellectually capable. We can read, we can study, we can track, but yet we still go to church to be fed the word, you know. So there still needs to be that that unidirectional communication. Um, but you definitely do involve discussion. The, the questions change. Um, and uh, and you kind of just make those math where they're at um, age-wise as well as spiritually. Yeah, I'd like to hit on really quick. Uh, I've had a lot of people since probably this past year uh, ask me and question if I'm Catholic when I use the word catechism. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, if yeah. we could just hit on that and just like, what is it? Hold on, buddy. Uh, just really hone in on, you know, what is it, the basis of that? Um, it's it's not something that's just within the Catholic faith and really the importance of it and, and what you really get to accomplish through it. Because I've seen a huge... Um, even with our two-year-old who we hear in the background playing drums on my keyboard, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I've, I've even seen him being able to, you know, recall these answers to me and it's being able to integrate that into our everyday lives too. Yeah. Catechism is huge. This is its own topic. This is, this is actually probably one of the, um, better life chapters in the book. Um, when we talk about uh, miniature theologians, the name of the, the chapter um, so, catechism comes from the Greek word katecho, uh, which means uh, to pour down or to sound down, um, which re which refers to oral instruction, question and answer, oral instruction. It's not um, it's not specifically Roman Catholic. Um, they've just done a better job at, at marketing it, I guess you could say. Um, but uh, catechism is, is just a, a method of of um, asking your kids questions and they respond with answers that they've memorized that relate to uh, particular theological areas. And a typical catechism is going to kind of build um, upon itself. So a catechism could be, let's say, 150 questions. And the first, you know, the first few questions are, are pretty easy, you know, softball, who made you? God, you know, very simple. Um, and then you get towards the end and you start talking about um, what happens to unbelievers when they die, that kind of a thing. You, you, some of the better known catechisms walk through the Ten Commandments and mm. they talk about what the meaning of, of each of the commandments are. Uh, but the point of a, a catechism is just to, uh, to get your kids to uh, constantly recite and meditate on theological truths. It's, it's like a systematic theology for kids, really, so that these truths become embedded um, in their head and, and they're just right at their fingertips that they can access at any time. Um, there's a, a Latin phrase, um, how's it go? Uh, repetitio mater memoriae, I believe, something like that. Rep repetition is, is the mother of memory, yeah. is essentially the phrase. And that is so true. We, we have a lady in our church who is pushing 80. She actually grew up Catholic, um, and we've started doing a um, a, a study about knowing the living God, just going through the attributes of God, studying God, and, and this past couple of weeks I've started doing catechisms with her, uh, with the cl with the class, and she remembers it, almost all the answers to the questions she learned when she was mm -hmm. in, in Catholic school when she was four and five years old, and she's almost eighty. Yeah, yeah, that and then it's very impressionable at that age. So it just cements. Absolutely, and that's where you want to get good theology cemented into your kid's head. They'll never forget it. And, and you that's know, as, exactly we, as we're right. talking about here, 
making disciples in the home. I'm, essentially, what we're talking about, honestly, Josh, is just the Great Commission. It starts in the home, does it not? Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. And that's that's why, really, the book is just taking what, again, pastors should be doing with their their local churches, their congregations, and just distilling that or boiling that down to what parents should be doing in the home. There's nothing, um, and we're not reinventing the wheel here. There's nothing fancy here. You're teaching the Bible. You're catechizing um, the way that pastors should be doctrinally instructing their people. Uh, You're evangelizing the way that pastors should be doing the work of an evangelist. I mean, these are all just bread and butter, very basic things. This isn't a tips and tricks book. You know, this again, this isn't a, four ways to do this or five ways to do that. Uh, but like you said, it, it is just the great commission teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Christ said. Yeah. The, I think honestly you could integrate this in with, with our talk um, just a minute ago about education and stuff, but in the same way in the church, sadly within evangelicalism, um, we certainly have seemed to dump our kids off on youth pastors or associate pastors or what have you for these pragmatic ways of thinking, okay, well, they have to disciple them. It's not my job. I'll drop you off at youth group for two hours. I'll go have, mm-hmm. you know, my time or whatever it is. And that's that doesn't cut it because that's that's a false dichotomy. Yeah, yeah, that's outsourced discipleship. Yeah, you don't see that in Scripture. I mean, that's... Um, you know, that's why I posted just yesterday about, you know, this ministry, we're going to, we're going to continue to, you know, try to reform the family back to the word of God. And we're, we're going to exist as long as there's topical preaching, lazy parenting and government education. So, I mean, that, that falls into the, the lazy parenting, not only, not always lazy per se, but sometimes just wrong priorities. Uh, you know, there's a lot of parents that work really hard at the wrong things. Um, they, they are, they're great out at the golf course. They're, They've got a fantastic career, you know, moving up the corporate ladder. Um, you know, they've got a 401k stocked away. And, and a lot of that, in a sense, kind of described what I thought when I first um, developed this, this whole concept, um, which is that, you know, I can have all those things, but at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of like what, what is a profit of man type of uh, sentiment that, you know, if, if I learn the greatest theology and I've got a great career and I've got this, that, or the other, but my kids don't know Christ, have terrible theology, you know, just, just have no zeal for the Lord, then, then everything else is a waste. So it really just comes down to priority. Um, I, that, that's really why I always, you know, sort of, it's really interesting when, when someone has that kind of outsourced mentality, the really question is, okay, what are you doing in, in, in that time slot or in place of that, what are you doing that's more important? I mean, if we're talking like your, your family is starving and you have to work like, you know, 12, 14 hours a day to put food on the table or else you guys are going to die or lose, you know, lose the roof over your, your head. Okay, we can talk about that. And what is so strange, though, and like you said, broke, kind of uh, circling back to education, is that we live in the, the most affluent comfortable uh you know nation and period of time in the history of the world and yet what are, what are the reasons that people say you know uh, they say well i you know i just don't have time to teach my kid the bible or um or you know we can't afford to homeschool or you know i'm i'm not really smart enough to, to do all that studying it's like well hold on you know we're rich, we're, we've got all this time for Netflix and all this stuff, and then everybody's educated, 
you know, well beyond what they need. I mean, we, you know, every so everybody goes to college and everyone, you know, brags about the credentials they have, this, that, and the other, but then you're telling me you can't teach a five-year-old the Bible. I mean, there's just a disconnect. And again, it's, it's priorities. It's, it's, it's a hard issue at the mm. end of the day. Yeah. So you just kind of hit on one more thing that we wanted to talk about. And I've even had some moms talk to me about this very thing is even though, you know, like you said, edu- education, even if we've all grown up in things that we're talking kind of not for right now, but we've all been basically educated. But at the same time, I think a lot of parents do feel unqualified or they're just apprehensive, like they they don't really know the Bible themselves, and so how are they supposed to do this for their children? Perfect. Yeah, that's that's perfect question because again, that's where one of the later chapters in the book comes into play, and so that's the chapter called the local shepherd. And again, that is that is placed there in the book strategically because I want I want that buy-in from the parent. I want them to say, you know what. I realize the Bible has everything my kids need. I realize it's my duty to teach them. I realize I have a limited time with them before they leave my home. I want to carry this out, but I don't know how to do it. And not only that, we're talking, you know, uh, what, 1,800 plus uh, chapters, you know, 66 books kind of a thing. Um, you know, even if I'm at a sprint pace, I, how can I teach them the whole Bible? How can I deliver the full counsel of God to them? So once we get that buy-in, that's where we provide the solution, which is the local church pastor. And so there's two, two major ways that your your local elders will help with this. And the first is that they should be teaching parents hermeneutics, systematic theology, church history. Those kind of things should just be part of the course at any local church, that they're equipping uh, saints for the work of ministry. That's exactly what Ephesians 4 is. So they should be equipping the parents. And I get it. it it's not easy. And I know what it's like to uh, be like the Ethiopian eunuch. You crack open your Bible and you're just like, ah, I, don't know, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, um, what is this even? Do, you know, what is, do you know what that means? <laughs> exactly. I know, I know that feeling. And so that's why you have to have pastors that are, that are equipping the saints to carry this out. Now, the second thing is that's why it's so vital to find a church that preaches verse by verse. Because as you bring your kids to church and they sit in on the ministry of the word, that pastor has now all of a sudden partnered with you in accomplishing the exact goal that you have. So let's say you're teaching your kids through, let's just say Genesis at home. You know, you're you're Monday through Saturday doing that, just grinding. You know, Genesis is kind of an easy entry. It's a great book to start with. Most people are comfortable at least getting their feet wet. That's what we're doing right um, now, actually. We're using uh, Joel Beakey's uh, new series that he's come out with uh, for family worship, and it's it's really good. Yeah, it's good. It's very good for younger kids. Yeah, he's got a great family worship Bible guide, too. Great. Um, covers every chapter in the Bible and gives just a brief paragraph snippet. So I highly recommend that resource, too. And we are not paid um, spokespersons for Puritan Reform no, Theology. <laughs> I am just a glorified hype man. Yeah, that's all we but, are too. <laughs> you know, but, but uh, so the second thing is, so you're teaching them through Genesis, but then what? You, you take your kids Sunday morning, and now you've got, you know, this expositor who's teaching them verse by verse through, let's just say, the Gospel of John. So they're getting hit with two books of the Bible every week, and now you can start to see the light of the other tunnel and say, okay, I can do this because it's not actually 
only on me to do this. Absolutely. I teach them as much as I can, as fast as I can, for as long as I can, but also our pastors are joining with me and they're doing it too. They're, they're pouring into them with this other book of the Bible. And so now the dominoes just start falling quickly. And you do that for, you know, three, four, five, ten years, you're going to be able to look back and say, wow, we've, we've covered like a ton of the Bible. Well, and, and, I'll, and I'll say this too, Morgan talked about the apprehensiveness, maybe somebody that really like they, they actually do want to do this. They're just simply in that stage that like Morgan said, where they feel like, I really don't even know the Bible that well myself. We, we have landed at a good uh, church that does expound the word faithful each week. I, I'm just still apprehensive. Uh, just looking at your, your, your tagline, your subtitle here, teaching the full counsel of God and allowing scripture to do its work in a child's heart. The scripture will work on the heart of the parent as well. Amen. Absolutely. That's and that thing too is, is you know, um, well, a couple of things. I mean, first off, when you go to church, it's not just so you can bring your kids so that you can sit them down and say, Hey, listen up. But obviously you're getting ministered to to as well. You're you're observing how that that pastor um, outlines the, the passage, how he uses it to preach Christ, how he applies it to uh, our sanctification. You're seeing all those elements. If, if you're paying attention, you'll, you'll catch on to those elements and then you'll be able to replicate those at home. And then the other thing is, um, I talk about this too in, in the book just briefly, but think about how much less Bible preaching we have today compared to even 20, 30 years ago when it comes to a Sunday night service, when in Wednesday night service, Maybe, like I said, you've got a church history class or a systematic theology Sunday school. Or, I mean, one of the other problems is that there's just not, people aren't making enough time to be ministered to. Mm-hmm. And pastors, you know, I think pastors, some pastors are to blame for this as well. You know, they, they have this secret sensitive mentality, which is like, you know, hey, people are going to come for a half an hour. It's about all I can get their attention span. So we got to bring them in, get them hyped up, send them back out. Well, and our our self-care society does not help that at all either. Right. No doubt about it. I mean, there's a part of that too, is just kind of a a victim mentality, you know, that, that we always want to find a reason. And and that's the thing too, is I want to point this out is is there is an intentional serrated edge to the ministry. um, But I also love encouraging people. um, That's, even just today, I've had some messages, um, and there's one pastor who actually got kicked out of his church because he wouldn't preach what they wanted. He wanted to preach verse by verse. So I was able to just interact with him, send him some resources, encourage him. I want to encourage parents, too. I want to, I, that, that's why all these things come together, and I want them to feel the weight of this, but then I want them to have some relief, too, in knowing that God's Word has the solutions. We just have to take advantage of those solutions. Yes, we just echo that. Sincerely, uh, Zach and I can both just say yes and amen. Uh, we just want to thank you so much, Josh, for being with us. And honestly, thank you for your ministry, too. Your ministry and your book has definitely helped. It, it came in. I, I don't remember, honestly, where I saw your book. I, I really think that it just popped up on Amazon when I was looking through different books. It popped up on me. And I was like, hmm, expository preaching is something that I've kind of new into learning about. And I'm also a parent. Let's sure. check this out. And so it, it came to me at a very um, basic point, I think, in growing you in the Lord <laughs> and in theology. And it really helped open my eyes to the word and the power that it 
and authority that it must have within the home. Yeah, and I and I sincerely appreciate your ministry as well, brother, because um, what you were able to provide in this was also a great bridge. Uh, it honestly even helped um, our marriage as well in a, in a time where uh, Morgan was working through various theological um, difficulties in her life. Like she said, you all have a very similar testimony. And, and I want to thank you too for being so approachable because I'm not going to lie, it's a little intimidating when I see on there that you're like, you know, ripping 495 off the ground for 12. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Side hobby, side hustle, I guess you could say. No, yeah. I appreciate it, guys. I mean, you know, this is this is one of those, you know, solely deal Gloria type yeah. of situations that, you know, I honestly, I can't take credit for any of this. Um, you know, it's like, uh, like what, what does MacArthur say? You know, you take care of the depth of your ministry and God will take care of the breath. So, you know, I, uh, I just kind of laid all this out here. It, it was, it really, you know, the other thing too is, I wrote the book, like I say, in the, the introduction, the dedication um, for my wife and kids, first and foremost. Again, had, just having one of those kind of moments, points in my life where I fast forward and thought about the end of my life. And I realized I wanted to have this written for my wife so that she could carry on the ministry in the event of my death somehow. You know, if I were to pass away at a young age, you know, some kind of crazy action or something. I wanted to make sure that they not only had, you know, a house, a 401k, blah, 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 that, those things that are going to, that are destined to perish, right? right? But I wanted her to be able to, uh, to be equipped to, to finish what I had started with the kids and to feel comfortable and confident um, in all the things that I've learned. But, you know, you, it's, it's not always easy to sit down with your wife and, and kind of lay all this out. I mean, it, this has been years in the making of my own growth, you know, and I continue to grow too, of course. Um, but just to be able to get into a book format so I could hand it to her and, and say, here, here's, you know, this is the legacy that I have for you. Hey, amen, brother. Well, again, thank you so much. Uh, everyone that listens, please go uh, check out Josh's page, Expository Parenting, on Facebook. Pick up the, uh, the book itself on Amazon. Uh, any, any last words you could kind of say there for us, Josh? Um, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and the Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. I think that's a great place to end. Preach the word. Uh, that's right. Well, thank you uh, so much again, Josh, and to everyone listening. Thanks for linking up and yoking with us. And until next time, and if the Lord tarries, we will come together to be equally yoked again to discuss another great topic concerning family theology. 